This week, I'm joined by Alex Fabish. Alex is a real estate investor in Biddeford Saco, as well as the owner of Centurion Property Management. He's been managing my properties for five years now, and he's been instrumental in my success. He talks a lot about the value of having a good team around him. And I think that not only applies to business, but life as well. We all have people that we depend on for services that we trust, look for advice from. Alex is one of those people for me. I'm happy to have him on my team and I appreciate him taking the time to come on the podcast today to talk about some of the things that he's experienced and learned in real estate investing. I think you'll really enjoy it if you're interested in that sort of thing. This is the Randy Forster podcast. If you could do me a favor, if you're watching on YouTube, Please like the video and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, also subscribe. Look for the podcast on social media. Be sure to follow us there. And I appreciate you listening. Kind of just want to dig into things with you. We have a connection going back probably 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, at least. Um, met you through my old job there and through Rotary and whatnot and yeah just kind of expanded from there once we both got involved with the apartment so and you wrote my first loan so I do. it got all started with you now that i think about it so. isn't that funny and that one was on bradbury street i believe still is three unit i was actually just drive by there today i was wondering if you owned it but one thing that sticks out on that deal for me was i don't know if you remember this but do you remember doing the, <laughs> the flea bombing the night yeah, before you and I went in there. Yeah, I haven't even refied. I still have that loan. Yeah, <laughs> so 300 bucks a month or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, that was that was unique even to this day. So, but yeah, that was where it all started. I remember we did the closing in Saco there. I assume that was your old office, and yeah, yeah kind of took off from there. So it's it's kind of funny to where you've taken it from there. But before we get to all that stuff, tell me a little bit about where you're from, how you transitioned from your jobs, real estate investing, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Cape Elizabeth here in Southern Maine, moved away for a while, went to college in Boston, lived in Los Angeles, played some music out there, came back with my tail between my legs after a couple of years of that and, you know, got a job down here in Biddeford, worked down here as a stockbroker for a while. And through that kind of, you know, learned about the town. It wasn't, you know, I'd come down here, come down here for a few parties or something in high school and shortly thereafter, because we worked with some people. But other than that, I had no real awareness of this area. Yeah, so I, I was working here and then I had always wanted to kind of invest in stuff. So eventually my brother and I started looking around Portland, Westbrook, wherever. We always kept coming back to Biddeford. The numbers worked the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seemed like the most people were telling us to stay away from here. and. I think part of me has always been a little bit of a contrarian. So eventually, you know, we put a place under contract, talked to you, pulled the trigger, and it's, yeah, since then it's history. Eventually, you know, we got enough places to where as I transitioned out of my job and, uh, you know, started the property management company, you were one of our initial clients and yeah, just kind of took off from there. What was the point that you decided to leave your primary job and just focus on real estate investing, property management? Like, was there a number yeah, that you had? It was 2017, and it, you know, I'll be a little cagey about this, but <laughs> it was never my intention to do this full time. A lot of people say they can always, you know, they always knew they had to work for themselves or they've never been able to have, you know, they've always wanted to be their own boss. I'm not really that type of person. I like being part of, a, I guess, just like a strong team. I don't have to be the guy in charge. In fact, many days I'd prefer not to be, but, um, the but you know out of necessity i feel like i kind of did and maybe i don't know who knows but yeah anyway so through my old job i just did this as kind of a side hustle you know my 
my boss and some of the other guys on the team are at a different place in life than I was. I was a decent amount younger than they were. I didn't have a family. They did. And I think I just needed more action. I needed to get out there. I needed to do more. And I wasn't necessarily getting that at work. So I kind of find this on the outside. And then just with everything happening in town here, I was in the right place at the right time. My brother and I were, and you know, I had all that energy. So it just kind of expanded from there. It wasn't so much as like, oh, I finally done this to the point I can leave. It was more just like, I don't want to do my job anymore because yeah. I don't feel like we're on the same page. So I stopped and just kept doing this. Now, how many units do you have now? Um, so it's like 270 amount. something, like 76 or something like that. Eight, that's a significant amount of doors. So, and that's primarily in Bitterford Saco, right? It's all in Bitterford Saco. Yeah. Are you looking to grow beyond that? I think so with the, I mean, I guess like with with the property management side, because we've, we've since expanded a little bit into the hospitality side, the hospitality side, most definitely, we already have, but the property management, I guess we'll probably stick around here for the most part, unless there's just something that really makes sense elsewhere. I like the tight footprint we have between buildings we own and buildings we manage. It's about... I don't know, maybe 440 or 450 units and 60 buildings, give or take. So, and you could probably walk outside the door to my office where I'm sitting right now and walk to all of them within, you know, like literally hit every single one of them with two hours, maybe something like that, maybe even less. I don't know. So I like that. And obviously that gives you, you know, a lot of economy being able to kind of keep it that tight. And there still is a fair amount of room to grow in this area. There's, you know, I don't, I think it's something like 8,000 apartment units between, or maybe housing units between Bitterford yeah. and Saco, but there's still a lot out there that we don't own or manage. And so plenty of room to expand. Well, if you think of that number, managing 440 of them is pretty, a pretty significant piece of that pie. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I got that number off like, you know, citydata.com. So I don't know how accurate that is, but I think I talked to someone at codes, but either way, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, it's kind of cool to, I guess, uh, you know, know we're taking care of that many people and that many, you know, just buildings around town here. And I love Biddeford. So it, it fits the shoe. One of the things is so, so like you said, back in 2017, that's how long you've been managing my properties for? Your properties, I think have been 2015, 2017 is when I left the job. Maybe, I don't know, maybe yours was 2017. Yeah, I, I think know. I was, I remember, I think you had officially left because I did a loan for you around that time. I think you might've still had the job and then. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're right. You, it is 2017 and it was, it was shortly after, I think it was the summer after <laughs> I left. I left in like April, but yep. So I, I really subscribe to your philosophy and I'd like to hear you elaborate on it, but with all of my units, it's always been about improving the units to attract higher quality tenants obviously increasing the rents part of that, improving the value. Is that something you're still trying to do on every property that you own or manage? Oh, absolutely. Thankfully, I mean, you know, we were maybe a little ahead of the curve back then. Again, our renovations weren't anywhere near in depth. You can, you know, just by the bills you get for the renovations we do now compared to back then. But, you know, we were kind of, all along we've been catering to the market, but yeah, absolutely. And it's just the differences now is, Biddeford is a place where people want to move. I mean, the, the massive difference and the the quality of tenant that we get is so much higher now. Um, yeah. But yeah, we do do that. And we still kind of try to stay ahead of the curve as far as what other people are doing. You know, we're always looking at other apartment ads. You know, when we go to other apartments around town or, you know, maybe walking buildings or whatever, we take mm -hmm. note of all that stuff, see what other people are doing. And we always kind of want to be better 
to as much as we can be. I mean, you know, some of that stuff is obviously limited by the building or the location of the building, but yeah. And I mean, we don't do this with the buildings that we don't own, but with a lot of the buildings we own, we experiment, we try different things. We try crazy things, things that, you know, might not make sense totally financially, but it also keeps us from getting bored, going crazy, doing the same thing over and over again. Cause we do have kind of have an assembly line process going now. Yeah. I mean, to some degree on some things, probably same paint color, same countertops, same cabinets. And it's yeah, nice yeah, a lot of that. So, I mean, we do, you know, once in a while, if we found find a unique feature of a certain apartment or if an apartment is kind of lousy overall, those are, you know, like the, it's really tough to make it cool. Those are the ones that will get real creative and maybe, you know, we've done everything from like fiber optic starlight ceilings to weird, weird shaped cabinets to, or I mean, like uh, shelving to bright crazy colored walls we did one that we had a magenta ceiling with a chandelier i mean all kinds of crazy shit. getting back to growing your portfolio what were the strategies that you used to do that or did you just kind of fight tooth and nail to grow that any way that you possibly could or was there a, a strategy that you used to build your portfolio over time it's been pretty simple i mean you know i i've seen a lot of people get just working with clients and stuff, they'll get kind of hung up on things like, oh, this place doesn't have parking or, you know, it needs so much work or whatever. And our thing was always just like, you know, unless the place was legit falling into the ground, you know, like collapsing or it was just way overpriced, as long as we could make the numbers work, we would do the deal. It wasn't this or another deal. It was every single deal we will attempt and if we can do it we'll go ahead with it and we'll worry about where we'll get the money later so that was kind of the strategy and a lot you know there was a lot of seller financing learning to kind of sell people on that building up our rolodex so we had references like hey we you know this guy held paper on this deal so you know you call him make sure that we pay our bills that type of thing Mm -hmm. um but yeah, it was essentially just really trying to go after everything we could get our hands on and maximize the amount of units we could get for the capital that we put ourselves put in and, you know, make up the equity with sweat equity on the back end because we've got, you know, the whole apartment assembly line already there with the management company. What are your thoughts when you hear about all these new housing starts that are going on or like, you know, in particular like apartment buildings that are happening to town, you have all the stuff that's going on down on the old Merck site and there's talk of new apartments going by the hospital area. Any of that stuff concern you and, you know, our ability to rent or what are your thoughts on it? I mean, maybe a little bit in the short term, to be honest, like we, because we do for this area, I, I think we're the biggest operation in this area. And because we have, you know, relatively high volume, you know, you see people who post ads for the top of the market, you know, waiting to get every last dollar out of the apartment. We've never done that. We've always just, you know, price them, what I feel is pretty reasonable. I mean, we're not giving them away, but it's definitely lower than the top of the market. So we can just, you know, get the best tenants and get the apartments move quickly and move on to the next one. But, you know, being a little tangential here, basically, no, I mean, how we're priced right now, there's some room to give. And I think inevitably there will be, you know, everyone acts like this housing crisis is unprecedented in history and all this stuff. And Maybe that's true. You know, I haven't, I've only been around for 30 years and change, but no, there's definitely going to be a little bit of pullback. But for me personally, that doesn't worry me. If I was someone that came in fully levered up, bought my first building a year ago and was paying X amount of dollars per unit and I needed to get top of the market, 
maybe it would worry me a little bit if I didn't have the, you know, the capital to tide me over if things got a little rough for a bit. But me personally, um, I, I'm not worried. And I think it'll only improve things here in town. And I have to say, like, Biddeford in general has impressed me with how friendly they've been and how kind of pragmatic they've been about, you know, getting more housing online here. Some of these bigger projects, like the ones you mentioned, you know, we're on the old Merck site and stuff, or I'm not saying they won't happen, but I'll believe it when I see them breaking yeah. ground. Um, it might be a little longer than anticipated yeah. or than the newspapers and everything are making it sound. But all in all, I think it's a good thing. And I think long term, it's very good for the town, for people living here and, you know, yeah. for people doing what you and I do. I don't necessarily look at those places as even competition for the type of places yeah. that we are. Maybe for, maybe for some of the places you have, but like for me, it's generally three to eight unit buildings where I think it's different people probably renting those places than you know, some of the newer places that they're building are the place by the hospital. It's not super concerning. I think it's good for the city overall. So kind of like yeah. a rising tide raises all ships. I'm excited about all the stuff that's been going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and some of the stuff blows my mind. Like, I don't know if you've been in the Lincoln hotel there, but that, the, like I went in there and I was like, holy shit. Like I never thought something like this would be in downtown Biddeford. So it really is a remarkable space. It doesn't feel like you're in Biddeford at all. No. Um, and I don't know if you checked out the new Batson River downstairs, but that place looks looks pretty nice too. It's yeah, nice. I haven't been there, but I went by and creepily peered in when I was on my <laughs> way to the gym. And yeah, they did quite a job down there too. It looks awesome. It's an impressive building. It's definitely like a showpiece for town. It's bringing a lot of people in. Seems like uh, people are very fired up about it. So, so I'll take it. It's kind of funny when you think back to the places that we've all purchased through our real estate investing career and how we were looking for places. I think there was time it was like $50,000 a unit is what it would cost oh, yeah. to buy a place in Biddeford. And I remember when being in the business, the first apartment building sold in Biddeford at $100,000 a unit price. And now, now to see things at, you know, 150, I mean, sometimes 200, depending on, you know, if it's a duplex or not, it's just been wild to see that growth in town. So things have obviously moved in the right direction. Very cool to yeah, see. Yeah, absolutely. What have been some of your keys to success? One of the most important things, I think a lot of people, especially in a business like this, that is like, it's focused on growing the amount of units you have, you know, like buying assets, essentially, you're buying an apartment building. I think something a lot of people maybe overlook is the team you're working with. The people that you work with are the most important thing to, you know, your, your success as a group, your success as an individual, the business is success, all that stuff. And I think that kind of, that focus has got to be there. So, you know, hiring the right people, working with the right people, that's definitely been a key because just, talking to others at other companies and there's been a lot of like flash in the pan and kind of scammy property management outfits that i've interacted with throughout the years either just taking over buildings from them or whatever it may be but um just seeing the the quality and in individuals i work with versus them has always been kind of reassuring or kind of horrifying at sometimes yeah, just looking at what you know who else is taking care of the housing stock around here in the tenants but uh, so that that's a big one. Another one was being hyper aggressive, not you know sweating the small stuff. If the numbers can reasonably work, mm -hmm. don't worry about the other stuff. It'll kind of fall into place. And honestly, like another key to success is just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And I don't know, luck is the biggest key to my success because I was also born with a brother who has a totally complementary skill set to mine, and we were able to kind of be greater than one individual and most of the time like having worked for a few small businesses that involve partners like and seeing some of those partnerships break down i'd always like kind of caution people very strongly before partnering someone business-wise and i was lucky to have kind of a built-in 
partner. Yeah. And like I said, to yeah, it kind of gives us an ability that maybe a normal person just starting out wouldn't have. So, yeah. So just to elaborate on that, you seem to manage the operations, maybe some of the financial pieces of things. I know you, you get your hands dirty. Sometimes I see you and you have all paint all over you too. So I know you're not afraid to do some work too, but Butch, your brother primarily manages the projects that you have, whether it's renovations or that side of things, correct? Yeah, essentially the, the way it breaks down is I'm I'm head of the management operations, yeah, and like the, the business side of things. I'm the one usually negotiating the deals and all that stuff, talking to clients like yourself, whereas Butch is out there doing all the real work. He manages the renovation crew. He kind of oversees the maintenance crew too and helps them out, but his is primarily working with the renovators. And yeah, so him having the depth of knowledge he has there has been invaluable. So Yeah, I bet. As far as challenges go, what have been some of the challenges? Because I feel like I can think of one of them, but I want to see what your thoughts are on the biggest challenges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like every other business, staffing has been yeah. challenging. Thankfully, like I said, due to like having a lot of the right team members and I think them getting the program and, and enjoying, I like to think, working with us they you know they've stuck around and i've retained them but even so i mean there's been higher turnover the past couple of years i think like almost every business and it's just that has been challenging um mm -hmm. the i'd say the biggest challenging overall it, like biggest challenge overall is just the speed at which things have moved recently you know like with again with prices inflating with just the, everything seems to be moving a little quicker now and in a business like this that's reasonably highly regulated and you can't really turn on a dime not only due like to the regulation aspect but also just due to how big we are now that can be a little challenging kind of keeping up with stuff in a big general sense and yep. general real estate stuff like you're dealing with i mean not to the extent you are but rising rates i mean it makes tougher to make deals work no one out there seems to think their building's worth any less even though it's it is, you know, like objectively speaking, because if I, you can't make money on an investment property because the rates have gone up, your building's not worth that much, yeah, but no one seems to, you know, want to budge there and that's to be expected. But you remember how it used to be. It ain't like that anymore. It's never going back there most likely. And kind of thankfully, I mean, cause what preceded that was pretty rough, but yeah. So I don't know, th those would be, I'd say the big challenge on the big level, the going back to you know in Biddeford doing projects here has been I don't say a breeze but like you know the town is easy to work with mm -hmm. the systems that they have or the processes are easy like you know kind of relatively easy to follow if you're renovating or have to get something through planning board or whatever the not in my backyard thing is not a huge thing here I mean I feel like New England in general is kind of a hotbed of that and mm -hmm. Maybe that's good for people that already own stuff here because it makes it so much more difficult for more housing stock online, but it's not so good for the tenants and people that are paying these high prices because they're, you know, we're not building housing fast enough. But some of the surrounding towns like Saco can be you deal with that uh, totally different. And really? yeah, like, you know, like people always group Biddeford and Saco together and it makes sense. Sister cities, geographic, you know, they're right next to each other. And, you know, there's a lot of people living in one, working in the other or whatever, going to school in one, living. In... But yeah, like from a, a standpoint of a guy that does what I do, it's night and day. And I'm not right. going to talk too much smack here, but I'm just happy that the majority of our projects have been in Biddeford and it's probably going to stay that way due to that. I mean, it's a reality of the situation though. I appreciate you sharing it. It's not something that I've really thought about or encountered just because all the stuff that I have is in Biddeford, but 
you know, I'm sure this dynamic exists in, in many places. You just happen to see it, you know, completely different on both sides because that's where you where you have Yeah, priority. yeah. And I mean, you know, just like, you know, talking to people in other towns, Cumberland County and, and whatnot, like, I think in Biddeford, for people that do what we do, we've got it pretty good. And I think that, that that's going to help everybody. It's going to help the tenants. It's going to help the other people in town here. It's, the town seems to be run pretty competently, and that reflects itself. And that was something, you know, I always kind of, from the in the beginning, when I was younger, I was like, oh, you know, the, the municipal authorities are just like a hurdle to be dealt with. But at this point in my career, I really look at it as a blessing and I, I really kind of want to give them the credit they're due for, I think there really is with the administration that's there now and all this that has, they've actively helped Bitterford become what it was. There were forces bigger than any of us, bigger than them that caused a lot of this to happen. Demographic forces, like macroeconomic forces, but it can't really be understated that when you have two towns side by side and you see how much is going on in one town and you know, and the contrast between that, if you really think about it, I think a lot of that's owed to the, you know, the people in charge. So yeah, no, fair enough. Talk to me about COVID. What were your thoughts when all that stuff was going on? Right? Like, oh, man, that's freaking out March, like everyone else. March 20, 2020, I think we probably spoke a few times around then. It's like, what the hell are we going to do if everyone stops paying their rent? Yeah. How do we go from that fear of, you know, and no one's going to pay rent. We have all these expenses to what ultimately ended up happening. It all seemed to have worked out pretty well. We got lucky. I mean, yeah, I was, I was freaking out like everyone else was. I mean, every person, landlord or not. Yeah, I remember I was sitting on my birthday and that my birthday is March 11th. And that was when they enacted the travel ban. And when it kind of seemed like, got like, you know, yeah. this is something that's out there to like, wow, this is going to be something big. And in my mind, at least. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like thankfully, like there was, you know, people on one of your apartments, someone had a deposit and they backed out because they were nervous. They didn't know what was going to happen with their job. And, you know, it's understandable, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting an apartment's a big move and you don't necessarily want to like be making big moves when there's so much uncertainty, you kind of want to stay put. Us personally, like we helped out our commercial tenants, especially that were told that they like couldn't open, you know, we helped them out. I think we halved their rent or I don't remember what it was. We gave them a couple free months. I don't remember what it was, but you know, we did that. Thankfully our tenants were good people. And I think due to our strong screening processes, we have a good batch of people living here. So there's very little, and that combined with all the government aid that was made available shortly thereafter, it really was pretty smooth. I mean, you know, there was a few situations that we would have liked to get people out of apartments that we couldn't do the courts being closed for so long and backed up. And that was what, a year, a year long? With no I think so. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. and I mean, they're still dealing with the, the echoes of that. Like, it's still slower than it used to be. But, okay. but even yeah, I, I can't complain because there were plenty of people that had it way worse than I did. So, same. And I expressed the concern to you. I think I talked to Biddeford Savings or what happens if no one pays. You know, trying to put all these contingency plans in place. And I think all said and done, there was probably one tenant that didn't pay and we had to chase her down for a bit. But outside of that, it was pretty good. So I think it does speak to the screening process. And it, it kind of reinforces my thought on, that's why you want to improve your units. That's why you want to put money into them, renovate them, get good tenants that it's important for them to pay their rent. So I'm on board with that. During COVID, there was this interesting thought that landlords should just like let people live rent free. You know, I don't know if you're, if you got any of that pressure, it sounds like you helped people out, which is good that you were in a position to do that. but. I feel like landlords got a bad rap in that situation. And even since then with the raising rents, 
I guess I just want to talk about that for a few minutes. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Because to me, I think people don't realize that as a landlord, there's expenses too, right? We can't just give everyone free rent. I mean, I'd love to help everyone out, but what happens if you know we can't pay bills that we have associated with it, mortgage tax, all that stuff? Did you feel any of that pressure? Yeah, it was more just watching the news and I think kind of the the media stoking those flames a little bit like around here there wasn't any kind of organized movement that that i was aware of you know portland was a different story as far as that goes politically but i guess the, the way i look at that now and it really did open my eyes is like you know real estate in addition to being an asset class in someone's portfolio to put it as coldly as possible is also a basic human need you know it's housing and those two things aren't always in, you know, those two parts of the picture aren't always aligned with one another. And I think, you know, I, we as landlords have got to be able to navigate that. So thankfully we didn't feel that there. And obviously as people that know, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, you and I, it is frustrating, you know, hearing things like, oh, you know, the, all rent should be free when we know, you know, a third of that rent or more is eaten up by the mortgage payment every month. And that's just the mortgage payment. And then, you know, there's bills on top of that. And if people stop paying their rent, we're not going to be in business very long and all the fallout from there. So yeah, it's frustrating, but, and you know, the, the, the one thing that always kind of surprised me, I understand why this is, but it's like, all right, why aren't people calling for free food or free aid? Like it, it seemed like rent, but obviously rents are typically a bigger chunk of your paycheck. But, you know, you can't think too logically about that stuff. you got to think emotionally and how people view things and kind of set your course from there. So that kind of speaks to how you handle the business, too. It is a business, right? Like when people don't pay their rent on time, they're going to receive notices. And if, you know, that continues for an extended period of time, they'll ultimately be evicted. And that's something you've always been handled pretty straightforwardly. Isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, that, that gets back to, like I said, surrounding yourself with a good team, who you work with, and also, you know, with the tenants, the people that you're working for. And if you pick good people, I mean, they're generally speaking, understanding, reasonable, decent human beings. And there's not as much of that. I think if you know, you went into a landlord who would just rent to anybody or didn't keep up their units so they could only get people who were kind of on their last last chance of getting a house, that type of thing, then it would have been a different story. But thankfully, due to all that groundwork, you and I and the other people I work with kind of had laid in the previous years, I think we averted at least, you know, a decent amount of that. So... Well, listen, I want to thank you for all the help that you have done for me over the years. I mean, it's been a great five years. We've there's been some, I feel like some crazy situations with my units. God, I mean, like, I, I love telling people about it and appreciate all the work. There's some places that have been in rough shape that you've been able to fix up for me. So I appreciate that and dealing with all the tenants and stuff. So we appreciate having you as a client. You're easy. It's, it's been a good luck. We'll keep, we'll keep it going, man. The thing I wanted to talk about before I let you go is you're also in a band. And I don't know how much we've ever actually talked about it, but I know obviously your brother and then the lead singer of the band too. I'm, I'm in touch with a little bit as well, but name of your band is Drivetrain. How long have you guys been a band? For? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Like me and Kevin, who wrote the loan for his house there, we've been playing together since middle school. Butchie was a little yeah. young then, but because um, yeah, he's four years younger, but him and I played in middle school. We both went to college. Kevin played football in college. I was still playing music. Kevin, you know, had some stuff happen. He wasn't enjoying the football team. So he called me one day 
and was like, yo, dude, you want to like go to LA and join a band there? And so we did. So we played music out in LA. We loaded all our stuff in his truck, drove out there, played there. LA was a pretty big grind. We got our ass kicked, you know, one way or the other. And uh, eventually- What was the grind about it? Just like, just trying to find gigs, everything expensive? It was like everything. I mean, it was mostly because we were so stupid. Like, you know, looking back, the amount of mistakes we made, we could have done it so much better, but I mean, you know, 2020 hindsight for sure. But like both, you know, I play drums in our band now. I'm not good at drums. I'm not good at guitar, but I'm a better drummer than I am a guitar player. But back then I was insisting on playing guitar. So it was two guitar players. It was difficult to find a band that was going to accommodate two guitar players. That one for all. And especially in the, you know, the talent pool you're up against in LA is pretty stiff. Um, but, and that, that too, like, Finding how many people said they could play instruments and were just total hacks was kind of a wake-up call, too. That was never a thing back here. I guess because we, like, knew who could play and who couldn't in our greater circle of friends and acquaintances. But, yeah, out there you'd have, like, yeah, I want to play bass with you guys. And, like, some guy would show up and legit wouldn't know how to play. So there were some awkward, (laughs) funny, ridiculous situations, firing people, like, from the band. Anyway. But uh, so that was kind of difficult. The other thing that like we didn't take into consideration at all that was huge was uh, the fact that we, uh, you know, when you, you grow up in the town, you know everybody. We went to school for these kids from kindergarten on up, a lot of them. And in high school, when you have a band, you know, you throw a show. After, you know, sports practice and the stupid job someone has at an ice cream shop or whatever are over, no one's doing anything. There's like a, it might be a party or someone's going to watch a movie at someone's house or going on a date, but no one's actually doing anything. So you throw a show, everyone comes. And you've known all these people forever. So you're like these little rock stars, you know, you throw a show and yeah. hundreds of people show up or whatever. And, you know, we just kind of assumed, oh, this is what being in a band is. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, it's like partying. Wait, that's not all the time. Yeah, so you go out to things like L.A. where you're just some asshole who, like, is mediocre at what they do and has no friends. So, yeah, you can get the dudes from work to come to one or two shows or this girl that you've gone on a few dates with or whatever. But, like, it's not like someone that you've known for 10 years plus um, and you have this extended group of friends that'll show up to every stupid show you play. And plus, people have real lives and shit out there. So, and there's a million bands. So... Yeah, that was a big thing. Like, where back home we never had trouble with people showing up. Like, there we'd be lucky if we had, you know, 10, 20 people. And that goes into the next thing where, like, L.A. And I don't know if this is necessarily unique to L.A., but I think it's, like, kind of the most prominent. I don't know how Nashville works or other cities with a big music scene, but I know this is a big thing in L.A. And why a lot of people hate it is the pay-for-play aspect. Like, the way it works out there is promoters will lock down these gigs and they'll say, look, you guys are going to play this gig, but if we don't sell X amount of tickets, you have to buy them. And the tickets might be 30, 40 bucks a piece. And when you're, you know, 20 years old, 21, however old we were when we were out there, like that adds up quick. And it takes a lot of fun out of the gig if you know you're paying to play to an empty room or whatever. And yeah, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. But it wasn't the same like party, free for all, fun, goofy atmosphere that we had back home. So anyway we did that for a couple of years i got to play a couple places that like as a kid i was like oh my god it'd be so cool to play there on the sunset strip or whatever but eventually we gave up um and came home and i mean thankfully we both kind of worked we found decent jobs out there it opened our eyes to a lot of things we saved a lot of money so we had no social lives kind of by choice and because we were always grinding with the music 
and we came home and eventually started this business but i still haven't picked up a guitar since then i stopped i quit yeah. and but eventually the the creative thing kind of came back in it's like i haven't done anything for a while i'm grinding at work i'm starting this real estate thing but i need you know there's another itch that wasn't getting scratched so kevin and i got back together we made a few movies where we also you know we never made movies before and uh yeah, we actually won the Portland film festival and we won that the golden monster <laughs> award how did i not know that that's awesome yeah yeah That's i mean cool. they're stupid movies <laughs> but you know we were just goofing around but we, when we were playing the music for these movies we we're like this is this is a lot of fun and so we brought butch in we brought another friend from our high school band in and just started playing music again and doing a movie is a lot of work like you know there's a lot sure. of coordination you got to get locations you got to get a bunch of people to show up usually you know you've got all these people involved in this production you've got to shoot it over a pretty tight period of time because you got to make sure everybody's all there they all look the same all the props and everything are in the same place so you know it could be like an exhausting weekend or long weekend where you're sleeping one hour a night and then you know you have you get it all done you edit it for a hundred hours or whatever patching in songs and correcting this and that and then you finally get to the premiere and the premiere is a blast you have this huge party you finally get to show this shit to all your friends relatives and the greater public but with a band, you just show up, like, you know, you and your friends drink a couple beers, write a song, and you go play a gig, and you play in front of just as many people, if not more, and it's just easy, man. A bit more return on investment as far as time goes, so. But I got one. Yeah, I think we got one movie left in us. I'll, I'd like to do one more. I can't wait to hear about that, but I, I love the idea of playing gigs, just like you said. At this point, it's probably fairly easy. I mean, you just show up and you guys know what you're going to do you probably have some type of comfort level with each other and yeah yeah and i mean thankfully we have like kind of a built-in fan base now it's not a ton of people but you know enough people to show up to where you're not like embarrassed or it's not depressing looking out and seeing no one there around here it was easy enough we finally you know you get in with well, like live nation runs pretty much everything promotion wise all the decent venues so you get in with a few promoters and on the nights that you don't feel like like you know hawking your gig too much there there's shows that you know you might be opening for a national act or something like that it's kind of show up do your thing play in front of a bunch of people and if you put on a good show they usually like you so it's just awesome fun. so no end in sight for that this will just be something continue to be a creative outlet for you guys will play just definitely yeah I, yeah those guys they both have like i don't have a family or kids kevin and the the bass player both do but yeah we've been working on this album forever actually ryan who i work with here in the office um is producing it he's much more talented than i am and it's awesome that those two kind of things we had in common that we work together and also do music and that he's offered to help us out with the album so we're going to put out one more album we're going to throw a big you know freaking slam and release party and after that i don't know maybe we'll probably play some more shows with those songs because sure. i'm so sick of playing the ones we are now do you guys play at wally's soon yeah yeah we are and i think we're playing with like a journey cover band but wally's is always a good time sometimes too good of a time i don't know if you've ever been there it's in hampton beach it's i think probably about 500 person i went to college with the owner of wally's so we used oh, to party right. back oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you, you told me that okay yeah, so yeah. it's funny. I saw that you guys are playing there, and I, I mean, I know know the type of acts that they have there, and pretty solid. It seems like a good place to play, you know. No, no, for sure. I I, I love Wally's. It might, to be honest, it might be the place I've had the most fun playing of any venue. And there's that's a it's a good running. Like there's a few places I've had a lot of fun. So I've never been to a show. It's heavy metal, right? Or like, yeah, like rock, hard rock, hard like, rock. Yeah, like stupid hard rock yeah i'd say like the closest maybe like acdc or something like that 
but that's a blast. I got to get out one of these days. It isn't too often that I get out after dark for drinks and a concert, so I'll have to make it happen one of these times. Yeah, yeah. But, I'll um, let you know when the album releases. That'll be the that'll be the big one. So, the release party. All right, I'm in. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. That's it. Thanks for sharing that info with. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you.